Musical Theatre Writer Guy was written and filmed as a YouTube channel series on the traditional and unceded territory of the Muncie Lenape and Canarsie people. Each episode is also released here in podcast form. To learn how you can work with me or to join the Musical Theatre Writing Collective, please find out more at michaelraddy.com. That's M-I-C-H-A-E-L-R-A-D-I dot com. Enjoy the show. You're going to need some basic music theory knowledge if you're going to talk about the music side of creation in a musical theater process, even if you are not the composer. Here are the absolute basics you need to understand in order to discuss music with a composer, singer, or instrumentalist during the writing process. Number one, pitch. Pitch meaning the sound, the note that is actually being played or sung. There are a lot of different ways that we can categorize this, but I'm gonna stick to two right now that we use here in America and in most Western cultures. We use either note names, which here we use letter names, or we use solfege. For letter names, I'm sure you're familiar with the terms A, B, C, D, E, F, and G and how they relate to music. It's those letters that repeat over and over and over which make up things like octaves. If you're thinking about music notes in terms of something like a piano, a site that we're all pretty familiar with, the white keys on a piano, those are the letter name notes. The lowest note on the keyboard is an A and the highest note on the keyboard is a C. If you're thinking about it in terms of sheet music, we'll get there in a moment. Now the other thing I had mentioned was solfege. Solfege is a system that relies less on just the note names themselves or where the notes are positioned, but instead is based on a scale. Specifically, it's based on the major scale. I'm sure you're somewhat familiar with the terms in solfege, especially if you've ever seen The Sound of Music. They are do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, and then we're back to do. Do, a, dear. A female thing. Now, I'm not gonna get too far into this, but sometimes the first note of a scale, in addition to being called Do, or whatever letter name that scale is starting on, it is sometimes also referred to as the tonic. That is a term you will hear often and I may utilize throughout the rest of this video. Okay, you might be wondering, well, what about the black keys on the keyboard? I didn't mention anything about those. Well, those actually have two names. They are enharmonic names. If you are raising a pitch from a white note up to a black note, it becomes a sharp. So if you're looking at G on the keyboard and you want to go to the black key that is just above G, meaning just to the right of G, that would become a G sharp. However, the same key, if you are looking at it from coming down from an A, becomes an A flat. When you flat a note, it goes down a half step which is just one key to the next key. When you are making a note sharp, it goes up one half step, which is again, one key to the adjacent key, which does mean that this one black note both has the name G sharp and A flat. They mean the same thing. Slightly confusing, but there is a reason behind it, and we won't get to that today, but maybe some other time. Okay, that's the very, very basics of pitch. Number two, rhythm. All right, I'm just gonna go ahead and say right now, I live in America and I speak English. So I'm going to approach these note names like an American English speaker. I know there are other names for these types of rhythmic things, but I'm going to use our terminology. Okay, so this note here, that is just purely an open circle, meaning that it is not filled in. This is called a whole note. A whole note is called a whole note because in 4-4 four, four time, when there's four beats in a measure, it takes up the whole measure. 
A measure is the space between these two vertical lines on the staff. The staff is comprised of horizontal lines, five of them to be exact, and when you see these vertical lines, the space between those verticals is a measure, also known as a bar. So the whole note takes up a whole measure in 4-4 time, meaning a whole note is four beats. A beat is that feeling, that beat within the music that you can feel and therefore begin to count. I'm sure you've counted one, two, three, four, along with music before. Or maybe you've been told to clap on the two and four and not on the one and three. I won't call any specific types of people out there. So the whole note, that open circle, is four beats. What about the open circle that has a stem? The open circle with a stem is called a half note. And if you want to just use a little bit of math here, it is half the length of the whole note, which means that a half note is two beats. Now, if we were to look at the same kind of note, but fill in that circle, so now we have a closed circle with a stem, that is now called a quarter note, because it is one quarter of a 4-4 measure or one quarter of a whole note. What does that mean? A quarter note equals one beat. Now, an eighth note looks very similar to a quarter note, except it has a little flag on it, if it is a single eighth note. If there are multiple grouped together, they get this kind of beam across the top, and that just lets you know how they are being grouped. But either way, if there is a singular beam or a singular flag off that stem, it is an eighth note. An eighth note, if we are continuing with our math here, is half of a quarter note. If a quarter note was one beat, and an eighth note is half a beat. Now I'm gonna stop there as far as the note names because we can go on to 16th notes, 32nd notes, 64th notes, but the math works the same either way. Do we have something longer than a whole note? Yes and no. We don't really have another shape that we use constantly in modern music for something longer than four beats, but we do have this little thing called a dot. And if you add a dot to the right side of any note, it elongates that note. By how much, you ask? You take half the value of the note and add that to the value of the note. So, if we were, for instance, going to put a dot on a whole note, that would mean we'd take half the value of the whole note, aka two beats, and we would add that to the normal value of the whole note, aka four beats. Four plus two, six beats. Now that whole note is worth six beats with the dot. You can do that to any of these notes, add a dot, and you get to add half again its amount to the note itself, which can be a little bit confusing for beginners, but for the most part, you'll get it quickly and it does make sense. Number three treble clef. Now we could talk about reading any of the major clefs and we can spend some time on that in the future, but G clef or treble clef is the one I want to tackle today. If you look at this silly little shape on the left hand side of your music, you will see on the staff that it kind of wraps around in this little moment here, the tail kind of wraps around the second line on the staff. That line is the G. That's why it's called the G clef. We use this clef for most things, whether they fall in the treble range, which is where a lot of estrogen-influenced voices sit, but also because if you add a little eight to the bottom, then it's useful for testosterone-influenced voices too. So we're gonna concentrate on this one today. What does it mean? It's like a little key. It tells you what those five lines and the four spaces between those lines actually means in terms of their pitches. So if we're using a G clef from the bottom line to the top line, we have E, G, B, D, and F. 
You can use a little device there to remember that, which is every good burger deserves fries. The spaces are a lot easier because they actually spell out a word. From bottom to top, you have F-A-C-E, face. And now you can read all of the lines on the staff. What about above and below those lines, you ask? Such a good question. A note can sit just on top of the staff. So if F was the top line, what's the next letter after F? G. If you wanted to go higher than that, you would add what we call a little ledger line, which is a partial line with that note, and then that becomes an A, and so on and so forth. Number four, time signatures. Okay, so this is what those numbers on the left next to the clef mean. You will see common ones like four, four, which is a four over a four, three, four, six, eight, all sorts of them. Here's what they mean. The top number means how many beats there are in a measure. So in 4-4, there are four beats in a measure. The bottom number is what kind of note gets a beat. So if we take that 4-4 example, we turn the top four into a one. We now have the fraction one over four, also known as a quarter. So the quarter note gets the beat. In 6-8, same thing. Six beats per measure, but if we turn that six into a one, now it looks like one over eight, one eighth. An eighth note gets the beat. And that's how you read the basics of a time signature. Number five, intervals. Oh, I could go on and on about this one because there's lots of different numbers and names that we can be utilizing here to talk about scale degrees, but I'm gonna keep it simple for today. You know how we talked about solfege and then also letter names? Well, we can also assign numbers to each of the notes in a major scale. They would be, obviously, starting from the bottom, one, two, three, four, five, six, and seven. Once we hit seven, yes, you could say eight, but it really goes back to the one. Why are intervals important? Such a good question, thank you for asking. This is how we know when we are playing two notes at once, how far apart those notes are. So if we're playing a C and then the next C above that, they are eight apart, which is an octave. Oct meaning eight. The other most important intervals would be a fourth and a fifth. Why are they important? Because when we play them, they sound like they fit well together. These are because of the frequencies, and I could really dive into that at some point if y'all would like me to, but the frequencies fit well together on a fourth and a fifth, and they sound pleasing to the ear. We could also go through and do movement between all of the intervals, the first to the second, the first to the third, to the fourth, to the fifth, and each of them has a little ear trick that we can utilize in order to know what we are listening to, but that seems a little complicated for today's video. Intervals also help us know where we are within chord progressions. They help us map things out when we are writing, and that's, again, a little complicated for today, but we will talk about chords in a second here. If this information has been helpful to you so far, please leave a comment below and let me know, because then maybe I'll make a part two, part three, part a whole series about this. The car wants it. Speaking of chords, number six, chords. Now we are all pretty familiar with the idea of a triad, whether or not you know it. Tri meaning three. So in a triad, we are not using just two notes for an interval, we are adding a third note. The standard triad is a space to a space to a space, or a line to a line to a line. That is a triad in what we call root position. Triads can then take on all sorts of shapes from there, and they don't always have to be condensed down, they can be spread out, but triads are the most basic kind of chord that we see everywhere all the time. Triads also tell us whether the chord is major or minor often. Triads in root position, where we start on that one, or the do, or the tonic, will also tell us if we are in a major key or a minor key. If the third is normal in a major key with no accidentals, then it is a major chord. If we see a little flat, 
or sometimes a natural, and we are lowering that third by a half step, that becomes a minor chord. Now, of course, we also have other types of triads in musical theater that you will hear all the time, where the third gets changed to a second or to a fourth. Those sounds will be very familiar to in musicals. But also, sometimes we add things like sevens, which makes your triad no longer three notes, but four notes with a seventh on top major sevenths, minor sevenths. If you're a Sondheim fan, then you know about ninths and elevenths and thirteenths. The opening of Into the Woods is all thirteenths, I believe. Okay, number seven, melody. The melody, very simply put, is the musical strain that we all latch onto. It's the thing that we're supposed to be listening into that carries the voice usually and also the story. Now that's versus something like a counter melody, which could be happening as well, that kind of works against and with the melody, or versus harmonies, which are really just adding notes to what the melody is doing in a way that sounds harmonious. Sometimes it's discordant, but for the most part, it is to add tension and then release so that it feels pleasing to the ear. There's also things like inner part writing. When you look at a score, you see all those little moving things in the middle of the score that look like they're their own melodies, but they're not the main thing we're grasping onto. That's inner part writing, which again, we can cover at another time. And finally, number eight. Key. Key centers and key signatures. A key center, if we're talking about major keys, we are talking about the tonic again, that root, the dough. That note is our key center. So if we are in the key of C major, then that is because we are in a major key and the first note, the root note, is a C. This helps us determine the relationships between notes in intervals and chords, as well as create chord progression. These signatures are a little bit difficult to read, but those are the sharps and the flats over on the side, or maybe there are no sharps and flats. They tell us what the key is without having to look at the music and figure out where the notes are going. There are two little tricks for this. For a sharp key, whatever the last sharp is, go up one note from that sharp, and that is the key. So an F sharp would tell us that this is the key of G. For flats, you look at the second to last flat from the right, and that is your key. When we have three flats here, then that means that we are in the key of E flat. And we can go around this, we can talk about the circle of fifths again for another day. Now this may feel like a lot for those of you who are unfamiliar with any music theory before today, but these are the basic essentials, the true components that you need to know in order to be able to talk about music. And of course there's so much more that we could say, but we'll have to save it for another time. But again, if you're interested in more, leave a comment and let me know. And if you're interested in a deeper dive on musical world and motif, then you can watch this video next. Otherwise, thank you all for being here with me today, and I'll see you again soon. Cheers! Thank you for listening to Musical Theater Writer Guy, available wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to rate and review this show as it really helps others to discover what you already know. And please do share this show far and wide so we may all become an even closer musical theater community.